the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Should church look like a sporting event? And then, the secret of happiness. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. It is Wednesday afternoon, a beautiful Wednesday afternoon, otherwise known as... I was that like so right. ready. I was so excited to say it. You're I, like bouncing in your chair. You're I t- ready to I go. I told you that. I think I told you this already, but Catherine McNeil, as our co-host who sometimes subs for you, was like, yep. absolutely not. I will never say hump day. Like she like flat out refused to say it. So it will be a power that. struggle. It will be a power struggle because next week I'm out for Ooh. the beginning parts of most of the week, including Wednesday. Yep. Uh, the aforementioned Miss McNeil will be sitting in with That's you right, on she Wednesday. Will. She will. We'll see what happens. You know the rhythm of the show. Uh-huh. So the question is, are you going to let the outsider come in and dictate how our show is done? Or are right. you going to go, I'm sorry, Catherine, this is what we do on this yeah, show. Yeah, if you want to co-host for Brian, if you want to sub for Brian, if you want to be the bench for Brian, you got to learn to say hump day or you're out. I'm going to make her a t-shirt <laughs> that says hump day. I'm going to do a whole thing. I think, t-shirt, I think hat, those things already exist. Yes. T-shirt, hat, and a megaphone. And she's going to say in it or she's studio. out. <laughs> on, that day, on that day, in the studio should be a big like sticker of that camel. It's I'll take like, pictures of her with in. it and make her post them. Yeah, this will be We're fine. going all. In. So we're glad that you're with us on this Wednesday afternoon, and uh, yeah, excited to be together. All right, Aubrey, there was a big event in in my life last night that you don't even know happened. You don't even know, and I, I somewhat sarcastically call it a big event. Uh, the Mets played the Yankees last night. Whoa, that is a big event for you, and no, I did not it know is. that happened. Wow. And not only did that happen, sellout crowd at City Field, I'm watching with my son, and uh, the Mets won a super exciting <gasps> yeah. game, which is oh, a big deal. Congratulations, congrats. People who don't understand the Mets-Yankees dynamic, uh, I will let me relate it. It's not a perfect one-to-one thing here, but the best way that I can relate it is to the Cubs and the White Sox. And like a hometown rivalry. It's a big, and you got but loyal fans teams, on each side and history. The teams, right? are, the teams are like that, right? Like, let's be honest. Even if you're a White Sox fan, you would agree that – there are many more Cub fans in this area yeah, than there are White Sox fans. True. We would all just agree with right, that. Right. But White Sox fans tend to be super passionate and like territorial. That's very true. If you were to go to New York, there are more Yankee fans than Mets. Okay. Just b- by okay. exponential. Like okay. there's a lot more Yankee fans. But Mets fans are super passionate and territorial. Kind of like the little You brother. obviously are one. And I, I know this isn't the point, so I don't want to take you off too much. But I'm curious, how did you become a Mets fan rather than a Yankees fan? Great question. I grew up in New Jersey. So in New Jer- in okay. New York. Okay. So in New York, it's like like how if you live on the south side and here, you're more of a White Sox fan. Yes. North side, you're yes. more of a Cubs fan. But suburbs, you kind of just choose, mm-hmm. right? Like there's no... In New York, certain boroughs, right? The Mets are in Queens. Mm-hmm. Queens, you're a Yankee fan. 
many of the boroughs you're i mean as queens you're a mets fan many more of the boroughs you're a yankee okay, fan okay. new jersey being the suburbs you just kind of choose okay and so therefore when i grew up in the mid 80s it was the high the, the kind of the heyday of the mets gotcha uh, the gotcha. mid 80s mets are a legendary team so okay. kind of the team of my youth and that i makes kept sense. myself as a mets fan but here's what it got me thinking aubrey i as you know uh, my son and I went to three of the four Mets Cubs games that. at Wrigley That's last so cool. week. Like, so fun. Love baseball. And there's a weird thing that happens. Like, say when we were at Wrigley last week or when you're watching the game last night, the Mets and the Yankees. Right. There's an energy, but there's also a camaraderie. Uh, inevitably, parenthetically, this is probably how I got COVID last week or two weeks ago. <laughs> That's a good uh, point. You're high-fiving and hugging people you've never met before at Wrigley because they're wearing Mets jerseys. Right, right. You're, you've uh, got fans, fan friends. One of my favorite stories is when I was in college, I went to a Mets game at Shea Stadium, and the Mets won on a walk-off. I was there with, like, my best friend and this girl he was dating at the time. So the three of us are sitting in the upper deck at Shea Stadium. There's a guy next to me. Uh, he was a Native American guy. Okay. Uh Big dude wearing only overalls. Stop. No shirt Stop. under the overalls. Amazing. Big Mets fan. Love it. And so we're high-fiving through. You're doing what fans do, right? You're doing this. But yeah. I have obviously had never met this guy before. Mets win in dramatic fashion. <laughs> and I'll never forget it to this day. Uh, high-fived my buddy. Turned, turned to the guy in the overalls I'd never met. And we gave a big embrace. <laughs> Awesome. It's what you do, right? Awesome. So it's what we did at Wrigley last week, all of this stuff. All of that to say, not only are my Mets playing well, last night was fun, yeah. this energy, but it got me thinking, all right? We like to spin this to the church. Are you ready? Tell ready. me if I'm stretching this okay, too much. I'm ready. Should church look more like a sporting event? Mm. In the sense of not the energy and you know, I'm not looking for my congregation to do the wave right. and to, you know, within <laughs> that, but should there be that sense of camaraderie and team we're on the same team yeah. like it's not only do i get past my differences with the mets fans at the stadium mm. or you know name your team i don't even ask them what our differences yeah. are right i'm not like hey who did you vote for before we high five about yeah. our team what but and we have some common ground we talk all through the game yeah. this and that yeah. i know there's huge differences right you're not buying cracker jacks in the church lobby sure. but but it can we learn something hmm. about what church should be from things like sporting events go am i stretching too no, much is that a I, good I, sermon I illustration like, or not i feel like you're right on and even, okay as someone who's like not an athlete i could say the same kevin and i went to see leslie odom jr last christmas and he was supposed to play only christmas songs and then of course he surprised the audience with a hamilton song and everyone like we none of us know each other we're crammed in this theater in downtown chicago but everyone's looking at each other like yes this is the Exactly. You know, I mean, anything like that where it's a shared experience, there's like immediate camaraderie and excitement in fandom, I guess. Right. And so, yeah, it's almost like, uh, oughtn't, oughtn't, is that a word? O ought not the church okay. even be more, um, unified than even, you know, sports fans or theater fans yeah. or what have you, concert fans. Like, I do, I do think there is something very interesting about thinking about the camaraderie, the, the fun, the, the unity for a shared, like, vision and excitement that really right. would be 
would be beautiful and would frankly make the church more fun. Let's be honest. It would make it more fun. Yeah. And I get it. Church happens week after week. But if I went to a Mets game every week and they were doing well, I would have You'd that excitement all excited, the time, right? right? Yeah. And, and it, so it does make you think that maybe we just have a wrong picture of mm. team, a wrong picture of uh, unity, what binds us. We always talk about what binds us yeah. together. I never really feel it at church. I definitely feel it at either. a ball game. Right. That's I definitely feel it at other places. Um, and it it makes me think about that passage in Revelation where where like there will be no tri- every chung tribe and nation and will be. I still struggle with not thinking about that as like kind of like a quiet worship service. Mm, you know, ins- like, yeah. Instead, what if it's a big baseball the, game? You know, like like, like a big party. It's gonna yeah. be like a, it's gonna be like the biggest concert at Soldier Field that you've been to. It's gonna yeah. be like Leslie Odom singing. I think we just lose something because mm. we somehow we've ended up with like this ho-hum nature of church yeah, and we, totally. we know what the right words totally. are but we go through the motions and we go our separate ways i don't know i really think that some of these sporting events theater yeah you going to a marvel movie whatever it mm-hmm. is probably could teach us something about what church is supposed to yeah, look like i mean like. it's interesting even last week weekend like marvel made all their announcements for their new phases coming out like what new movies what new shows and my son was online at the same time as like millions of other Marvel fans. And I'm watching my son watch other fans and they're all like, yes, and they don't know <laughs> each other, but there is that growing excitement. And I, I think you're right. Like, I don't, I don't know the answer, but how do we begin to cultivate that in our church communities and yeah. church cultures? It'd be interesting. I think well, all I want to do today is make us recognize it. Yeah, and I gave good. you that that should be a chapter in a book, something you're writing. Like I like it. Uh, you could be like you could be like, you know what? I was at uh, at a White Sox game the other day. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Every one of my readers will be like, nope, liar, liar. Nope, nope, nope she wasn't. Nope. So, uh, and the big takeaway here is let's go Mets. They play the Yankees again tonight. So uh, congratulations, Mets. All right, Aubrey. If I had to guess, you're not a you're not a lottery player. I doubt you're playing the. Uh, the mega millions yeah. and these types. You of know things how we, we've talked basis. before how I have that little. We <laughs> we did an article on this and it stuck with me. I have a little Puritan in my head, like a little like legalistic one you that do. lives there from my childhood or my high school days or something, and that keeps me from buying lottery tickets. I'm not gonna lie. Like there's a little bit of me like, no, that's sinful. But then every once in a while, I have friends who give me like scratch off cards, and I'm like, this is fun. Why don't I do this more? But that little Puritan in my head won't let me. I do like, we're going to name that little Puritan in your head, but I do, uh, maybe I'll change your mind here Okay. because the mega millions jackpot has grown so large because no one has matched the game. Six selected numbers since April 15th. That's 29 consecutive drawings without a big winner. So now Aubrey, a giant mega millions lottery jackpot that will be Friday is 1.02 billion dollars billion with a b B. that is a b oh i'm forget that puritan i'm getting on it (laughs) billion 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 dollars wow isn't that amazing i understand how i understand to a point how statistics work and like Wow. I understand like it's, you know, X to the whatever, uh-huh. but doesn't it just seem like the, the tens of millions of people who played this last night that like, getting six numbers in succession, correct, shouldn't be that big of a, a hurdle, but it obviously is. This is the 29th straight drawing that it didn't happen. That is Aubrey, unbelievable. Remind people, or maybe you've changed your mind, you win the $1.02 <laughs> $1. billion. 
you take the lump sum. Yep. So maybe you get half of it. Right. So $500 million uh, into the Samson uh, bank account. Uh, what are you doing? Man. Okay. Can we get rid? Can we assume practicals? Cause that's not fun, but let's assume I've paid off our car payments. The kids braces are covered. Like you think you could cover all of those. Okay, let's, so, so I don't want to have that conversation. That would be realistically the things I would do, but let's, let's ignore that. Okay. For fun. You know, you know, Brian, that I am finally getting a vacation home on Disney property. It is either, it, this is where I'm torn. Like, is it just a season pass like for me and my family and we go there whenever we want or is it a season pass and a Disney vacation home? Like there's some things for me to consider about this, but that is certainly one of the things I would do. I would like to tell, I mean, I would, you know, blah, blah, blah. I would give to good no, you things. Wouldn't. Can we just like, pause? The Can fun we just go stuff. backwards there? Yeah. Can we go backwards here? Yeah. I just, I just bequeathed you $500 million. <laughs> And you're trying to decide in your head whether you should just get the pass or get a pass well, in a house. You know, I'm, st- I'm a very budget-oriented person. <laughs> I, like, I do the budget in our household. So I am thinking through, like, okay, what line item can I put this in? I mean, I'm getting a little too realistic about Here was it. I, I want you to imagine being able to change that line item from $100 <laughs> To five million dollars. Okay, for the okay, month. that's helpful. That's helpful. I mean, I feel like I'm taking friends on vacations. I'm like, I'm definitely giving a lot to like organizations I care about. But we're going on fun trips. There's no doubt no about doubt. it. What about I you? What would ex- you do? No, it's it would be all experience. It yeah, would be, not all. I would buy a nice house and yeah, I'd, you know, buy a house for family. All that. I'd kind finally of stuff, get a new would... couch. We've needed a new couch for like twenty years. I'd finally get it. Yep. Yep. Uh, so I do want to talk about something else. So I won't, we'll, f- we'll file this question for wow. another day. Here's what I want to know. Okay. Would you quit your job? No, no way. I, oh, and I, I'm not just saying that. I know that I would become a isolated, way overly introspective, like weird sort of like artist type person if I didn't have a job. Like I need, I need community. I need responsibility. I need deadlines. I would waste my life away, like watching Netflix and getting oddly like isolated from, I would live on an Island and that's not the old John Piper story of the people collecting seashells. Yeah, I would be that person. And I don't really want to be that person. Like I've seen that version of Aubrey show up every once in a while in seasons of life. And like, nobody needs that. So I, I I think I would answer that question the same way you just did with a caveat. I think I would try to get myself out of having a day-to-day job no, where I have sense. daily responsibility. Yeah. I would want some more freedom. But still but a I would purpose still want to of keep some engaged. kind. Yeah, right, that makes right, sense. Right, right. I, I get that. I could see that. I could see that. All right. So th- I think this leads into uh, an article that I saw over the Gospel Coalition written by David Schumann, The Secret to Happiness. Because mm. a lot of us think if I won uh, $1 billion, yeah. I'd be happy. Yeah. But he, he writes, Americans have grown less happy since the 1990s, with an even steeper decline since the 2000s. Global pandemic has made the trend even worse. According to a 2020 University of Chicago poll, Americans are the unhappiest they had ever been wow. since the conductors started collecting data in 1972. And he wants to ask how we as Christians can mm. help reverse that. But are you surprised at all by that data? No, I'm not surprised by that at all. And I, I don't, I'm not, I, it's not like I've done research in this area, but I just feel like personal experience, anecdotally, what we're seeing in the world around us, like, oh yeah, that makes total sense to me. It's sad. 
And in fact, I'm glad you're bringing it up because even with the lottery question, I had this like, it's fun to dream. But then I also had this moment, even as we were talking about like, oh, but I'll never get to do those kinds of things. Like I had a moment of like wanting to feel sorry for myself. So I do think like it's kind of our instinct to move downward emotionally instead of upward. I guess it depends on personality. But no, this doesn't surprise me at all. Did that surprise you? I don't think so. I think here's one part of the study that did surprise me that I didn't tell you yet because here's what I want to talk about. Uh, the study shows that religious people are far happier than non-religious people. Wow. In fact, it was people who attend um, religious gatherings hmm. on a re- somewhat regular basis hmm. were the only group that was studied who was happier than they had been previously. Interesting. And so well, then one of the theories becomes we shut down a lot of religious groups yeah. in the 2020, 2021. sure. sure. But what do you think about that? Because the guy here is like, follow the science. We always yeah. say follow the science. And the science says that pe- that religious people, mm. quote unquote, that's a big, you know, the, but that religious people are happier hmm. than non-religious people. I'm not sure we believe that or live like that often. What do you think about that? Yeah, finding? I mean, it's, I feel a little bad about this, but I have to be honest, even you reading that, I'm like, there's some cynicism in me. Like I'm a little like, yeah. or were they just the ones taught to say they're happy? Like, like, mm. isn't that terrible? <laughs> like here I am a Christian, part of a church, like I'm a church going person. And yet even I am wrestling to believe that that's true. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the show today about kind of that, the baseball game concept, that energy, that joy at church, like do, are we cultivating cultures at churches that allow us to just express happiness and joy? I, I don't know, but this is, I'm glad to see this data and I hope it is in fact accurate because that does say something that like uh, Christian community, Christian practice, and just like the presence of Jesus makes a difference in our, our emotional lives. Right, right. And it says, and so uh, the author of this article at the Gospel Coalition is wanting to point us to that God has given us the key to happiness. Hmm. And he says, tragically, we often reject it, delighting instead in ourselves and in our sin. We don't deserve to be happy in this life or the next. And he's going on to say the good news is that there is one who has never sinned and has delayed. He's basically saying the key to your happiness is the gospel. Wow. Is the good news of the gospel. Wow. And I, I think that's a good, here's where that's a good um, corrective for me, because I do think, and I think what I'm about to say is true, but I think we can go too far with it where we're like, the Bible talks about joy, not happiness. Right. The Bible talks about our eternal joy, uh, but there's going to be struggle in this world. This is going to be hard. All of those are actually true, mm-hmm. but there's also a caveat there. But when we have that joy and that purpose and these things now and that hope, it does manifest happiness in us yeah, here yeah. that this world can't give us. I think that's – this was a little bit of a corrective for yeah, me as I, I was reading it. Yeah, I feel a little convicted going, with this too, honestly, especially as one who like focuses on lament and suffering or grief so much. Like I wonder what it would look like to just even kind of switch that mindset a little bit. Seriously, time to write a book on happiness, seriously. I think. Maybe, maybe. Okay. okay, Aubrey, I told you before the break that there is a – uh, contemporary Christian musician and icon okay. has been named one of the Kennedy Center five honorees of 2022. Mm. Uh, this person is the first kind of contemporary Christian artist to be named that. Who do you think it is? Okay, give me give me some stipulations about what it means to be a Kennedy honoree. Have they been in music a while or is it like a new CCM artist that crossed over to, to pop music? <laughs> 
No, it's usually been for a little while. Like okay. this is kind of uh, uh, they have like a uh, history in in the game. Correct. Yes. So it's not. Yes. Exactly. And so um, it, it they're usually. Um, it's usually artists who've had, like you said, have been around for decades. So okay. that, hopefully that will help you. Okay. I, and it's CCM. And this is also not gospel. Okay. okay? So that's helpful. Some of your famous gospel singers yeah. have already been awarded this. This is contemporary yeah. Christian so music. I, so I have a guess, and I think it's somebody who I remember kind of crossed over to pop culture and like a lot of Christians freaked out because she had videos right. on MTV oh, right. and they were mad about those videos on MTV. And sometimes she danced with someone who wasn't her husband. And that's got to be Amy Grant. It is Amy Woo! Grant, who in this article is called the, quote, queen of Christian pop. Wow. OK, that is quite a was, title. Was Aubrey Sampson a an Amy Grant Fan. No, I was not. I t- I think I told you. I I I just didn't. I don't know because I came to Christ a little bit later. Like I just missed some of these things, and I so CCM was not. My family didn't listen to Christian music. I didn't listen to Christian music, and I on. I'm not going to lie. I have friends who are huge Amy Grant fans, and I think she's an amazing woman person. It just was never my style. I didn't listen to gotcha. super poppy music, and so it just wasn't my. It just wasn't my jam. That's fair. That's fair. I think the next honoree is a Michael W. Smith. So I, I, a, I was torn, but I don't think Michael W. Smith crossed over to like mainstream music. Like he was very no, popular right. in CCM, yeah. but like, I don't know that like any of my non-Christian friends would know who Michael W. Smith is. You bring up an interesting point about Amy Grant and the kind of the scandal of her crossing over, oh, her getting divorced. Yeah. Um, but also, it was like bigger. Remember, she came out with Baby Baby, and it was like that crossover. That's the song. People... That's what I'm, I picture the video, and she's got on like a white dress with black polka dots, oh. and she's dancing with someone who, I mean, this was even before her divorce, but she was dancing with someone who wasn't her husband, but barely dancing. I mean, like maybe he was behind her separated, but people were freaking out also about it. Yeah. 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 I also remember uh, that was Poor a similar thing. deal. Do you, remember when Sa- Do you remember when Sandy Patty got divorced? Uh, and like, no, it was like persona non grata. Like it was, it's Sandy, a different Sandy culture. Sandy Patty different is world. the worship pastor at my parents' church in Oklahoma city. That can't be true. I promise you it's true. Uh, that is, it, that is wild. Is that the craziest thing? They'll send me videos of her all the time. Now there's a whole worship team, like, but she's, you know, one of the main leaders sure. on it. And it's, no, no. If Sandy Patty is on the stage, she is not one of the main worship I mean, leaders. <laughs> so again, I I miss like I don't totally understand the weight of Sandy Patty, but I know my, like it's a big deal that Sandy Patty leads worship at my parents' church. Is it a big church? Yeah, it's a very big church in Oklahoma City. Okay, yeah, it's not sense. Life Church, Craig Rochelle's church. It's but it's another like very large church in Oklahoma City. Yeah. Sandy Patty yeah. leads Isn't worship. Isn't that fun? Isn't that fun? That that is really funny. So anyway, congratulations, congratulations to, Amy, to Grant. Amy Grant. You and I have been spitballing a whole new deal about doing Mount Rushmore of this and Mount. Do Rushmore we need to do of it of CCM? I'm about to go Mount Rushmore of cr- contemporary Christian music icons. Maybe this so is a whole present. new segment. Just Mount it Rushmore right, of we're things. We're onto something. Yeah, we're onto. Yeah, something. I like it because no one's ever done that in radio. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I just spitballing. I need uh, somewhere DC talk or and or Toby Mac is on there, right? For sure. 
I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. But yes, there has to be the icon status. Yeah. That's interesting. I'm going to play with this. As I go to Mount Rushmore okay. later this week, I'm going to stare up there going, <laughs> which Christian artists would be up there right now? I would appreciate if you could make several memes where you actually like put their faces on your uh, actual family picture of Mount Rushmore. Well, that would mean I'm like, a lot. I'm staring up there at the president's. <laughs> I'm staring up at the president's and all I see is Michael W. Smith uh, singing Friends or Friends Forever. <laughs> Yeah. I feel I I'm going back to Amy Grant. I feel I feel sad for how she was treated. Like, you know what I mean? This she was, did just fine. This was she did do just fine. But, you know, that had to that had to hurt. Like, she's still a human. And she received so much criticism for just like taking her music to the next level. And I that's sad. Yes. Uh, OK, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. Hmm. But we were too um, hard on her. I don't think you or I were hard on her at all. I'm just saying we, uh, as in like the Christian culture, was too hard on her. I'm, I am good with Amy Grant, a little Vince Gill in the background now. And, yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, that's absolutely. Right. Huh. All right, I want to ask you a totally different question. Okay. Uh, you, the one who wrote about lament. Here's a, here's, this is from my life right now. Okay. Uh, I told you this yesterday. My youngest daughter got braces yes. yesterday. Exciting. Congrats. So when you get braces, it's a painful deal. Yeah, Those first that first week, like I picked her up at she was at youth group last night, and I picked her up, and she was just like I said, "How do your teeth feel?" She goes, "They just hurt." It, it was like you know, just but she knew it was coming, yeah. like nothing bad, like all normal. Yeah, and it got me thinking. Let me make the the uh, sermon illustration parallel, like we did earlier. You're such a good pastor. Think because eventually. The pain she's going through is going to correct her teeth and it's going to leave her mm. with the desired result, right? Yep. Of of uh, straighter teeth, yep. a nicer smile, whatever else yep. it might be. So here's my question for you, author, pastor, theologian, Aubrey Sampson. That's me. Uh, how do we embrace or where in our lives are there, comes to mind for you, where pain leads to growth? Yeah. Where pain is kind of the doorway to something positive, to a deeper faith, to a whatever yeah. else it might be. I, and I want to think about this on a spiritual level because the first thought might be, right, uh, exercise, right? I don't mm. like exercising. It hurts at this, yeah. but it leads to something. Can you think – I'm putting you on the spot yeah. here. I did not warn you about this question. Yeah. Can you think of anything in our spiritual life where pain leads to progress or depth? I mean, isn't that like Paul's – whole message right mm. that like our suffering leads to christ likeness yeah and so i think that is i mean you know we are we've been talking in the show a lot about happiness and joy and that kind of thing but i still think that there's this very mysterious reality that through our suffering we are shaped into the image and likeness of jesus like scripture is very clear about that and um and that's not a message we want to hear necessarily yeah. that's yeah. not a message we like living but i i mean i have almost found and i wouldn't say this glibly to anybody but if you know someone in our church gets a new diagnosis or finds out they're going to go through a really difficult season my mind goes to oh God's about to shape a lot of Christ likeness in them. And mm. if we can walk through our suffering faithfully with Jesus, it doesn't mean like perfectly, but like faithfully, um I do think it it shapes in us humility, 
kindness, trust, gentleness, the fruits of the spirit. And so in one sense, I don't think it's even just part of our spiritual life. I kind of think it's the whole message of scripture. And Mm. that makes me sound like, you know, I'm not, you know, I know there's like the Shane Claiborne's out there who intentionally go after suffering. That's not what I mean. I, I guess I'm talking about the seasons of life that God walks you through that are so, so difficult. The invitation really is into Christ likeness and to intimacy with God, if we can embrace it yeah. like the invitation that it is. That's really well put. You know, I think, and I think the problem is, as we've talked about many times on this show, I think one of the if we did a Mount Rushmore of American idols, not, not American idols as in the, the music show, but like what are the idols that we as Americans mm. have? Comfort comfort is yeah, on there. Definitely it is. And that works against it. And so again, yeah. just even thinking through, uh, you know, now it's not just my daughter having pain with the braces. I now have to pay for them. That's painful. And so there is also pain there. Uh, but yeah, what role does pain and suffering, what are the doorways that that opens up? And I think- you can't read scripture and be like, well, you know, we were called a life free yeah. of pain and a free of struggle. Mm-mm. I am thrilled because we are joined by someone who I would consider a friend and a mentor who I have known for years. Her name is Pam Keneally. She's the development director and co-founder of Arise Single Moms, a ministry that is equipping single moms around the globe. Pam, we've wanted to have you on for a while. So thrilled that you're with us today. Thanks so much for being here on The Common Good. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited. I love common good. I love it. Love (laughs) it. Thank you so much for having me. You guys are awesome. Oh, Pam, you're so great. Pam, uh, for people who may not be familiar with you, and they're probably already recognizing that's not a Chicago accent. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about where you're located and what you do? Absolutely. You guys, I am located in Oklahoma City. So if you like a good Southern draw, then you are just going to want to listen to the rest of this little segment. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of a little bit about why I speak like I do. (laughs) That's fantastic. And, And Pam, tell us about the heart behind Arise Single Moms. How did it come about? Why is this a passion of yours? You know what? It is a passion of mine. Single moms, if you're listening today, or you may not be a single mom, but everybody knows one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I faced an unwanted divorce many years ago with a two and a three-year-old and devastated. God spoke to me very, very clearly that one day he would raise me up to speak to thousands of single mothers about his what his grace and God can do what God's grace and God can do that has been over 20 years ago and God has done exceedingly and abundantly. And I am absolutely in love with single mothers and know they matter and their influence is so amazing. We just want to come alongside them and show them how to expedite that. Oh, that is so awesome. And Pam, I know you were saying off air that Arise focuses on five key areas. Can you unpack some of those for us? Certainly. You know, so many nonprofits uh, focus on other things. Our main thing, of course, is a spiritual awareness, spiritual growth, emotional wellness. Single moms Mm -hmm. need emotional wellness to raise their kids. They need help with relationships. How do you have relationships with your kids, other people, your your, you know, your former husband, if that's if that's your situation. Mm. So there's parenting, there's relationships, there's emotional wellness, there's spiritual growth. All these are important. And also single moms need help in finances. And how do I navigate? How do I budget? How do I do these things? And so we feel like these five areas help uh, develop a whole healthy single mom in her area, in her role. And uh, we are thrilled to be able to 
input these into their lives, into the into their household. We have found that single mothers that are whole, healthy, and healed will likely raise whole, healthy, and healed children. And so mm. our focus is single moms and the children who is our next generation. That's so good. Love that. And Pam, you said a lot of this comes out of your own experience. So if you wouldn't mind sharing, what were the struggles for you? What What was the difficulties when you found yourself unexpectedly as a single mother? You know, I had so much doubt that I could do it, even though I was a Christian. I needed help. I needed community. I was I was sad. I the kids overwhelmed me. The role overwhelmed me. I can't say at that time that the church was a big help. Uh, because back then there weren't single mom ministries. I was a follower of Christ and that was amazing. But, you know, single moms face so many issues just with themselves, not not to mention parenting, but oftentimes loneliness and comparison are big issues for single moms. And just wondering, am I worthy? Am I a failure? Can I do this? Wow. And these are huge issues to succeed knowing your identity in Christ and being able to uh, to bring your kids to a place that one day when they are adults, they will look back and say, my mom did an amazing job. And wow. that's what we try to empower our moms to think is not just the here and now, but the future and how they can do it well. Mm. Oh, it's so good, Pam. Bringing me to tears just hearing you talk about that. Um, Pam, I know that Arise has uh, resources that are reaching a quarter of a million women around the world. Can you talk to our listeners, especially the single moms out there, or those walking with single moms? How can they access your resources? What do you have for single moms? Like, Give us some of the nitty gritty of the ministry. Absolutely. You can access us by going to arisesinglemoms.com. You can go to our website, access us there with our videos, our articles, our podcast, our Bible studies. We have Bible studies tailored to single moms. So you can access this there, there, but Aubrey, the main and, and uh, Brian, the main thing we're doing now is trying to equip single moms to lead single moms in small groups. We have found that single moms want community and they want community with people that understand what they're mm. going through. Uh, our new assignment from God really is to uh, train single mothers, how to lead a small group to train single mothers that, that don't know, are just starting to show them how to start and also to train single moms that are already doing it, how to do it more effectively. And we have a host of single mom leaders around the country that we are in the process of mentoring them. So my heart today, if you're a single mom or you know a single mom that would be interested in being a small group leader with other single moms, (laughs) we are the people you need to talk to. That's right. As God is empowering us to be such a, significant advocates for single moms across this country. That's great. And Pam, you mentioned earlier that in your own experience, the church wasn't always a help. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got lots of, Aubrey and I are both pastors. We got lots of pastors who listen. What would your word be to pastors and to church leaders out there? Because we want to see the church be of a help. We want to see the church do this well. What does the church need to know and need to be doing right now? Our church need our leaders, our pastors need to know that if you invest in a single mom, she will be one of the greatest leaders in your church. Wow. She will she will not necessarily drain you. So many pastors think, well, if I bring her in, we're, they're going to financially drain us. Not so. Uh, mm-hmm. Single moms have so much to offer to your community in your church, and often there's just not enough place not a place for them to serve and to invest their lives in their children. So we try to help them connect with churches as well. 
Oh, so good. Um, Pam, I, I want to go back to the the single moms, leading single moms. If there is a woman out there listening right now and she's feeling like, ah, man, I, I want to know more about how I can lead other single moms. I'm interested. God maybe called me to do that. How can she contact your ministry to find out more? You know, she can contact us. And I'm so glad you asked because she can go again to arisesinglemoms.com. And there is a place there to contact us, let us know who she is, that she's interested. She heard about us on this podcast from the most amazing podcast series ever, The Common Good. (laughs) (laughs) She She can let us know that she's interested. And then from that point, we have an amazing director over this area of our ministry. Her name is Mel Hyatt. She will send them an application. We begin to investigate where she is and and how you know, what her purpose is and uh, and kind of screen those so we can just pick them so God can lead us to mm. women that are ready for this uh, amazing experience. I might add also the thing about our leaders is that we have Zoom calls with them uh, every month and it's a place Brian and Aubrey that they can be real mm. and they can say I'm struggling with my group. I'm mm. having a problem with this. So leaders need a place to to be real and get help. Yeah. And we've had Zoom calls where they've laughed, where they've cried. I don't know what mm. to do. Uh, so we, it's a place to be equipped. And in order okay. to be equipped, you have to, you know, um, be willing to be real. That's so good. good. Pam, such a powerful ministry that you have. Can you, as we close it out, can you remind people, how can they connect with you Website, social media, if somebody wants to reach out to you and your organization. Absolutely. Please contact us at arisesinglemoms.com. And I can assure you, we will uh, make sure you know that you matter Mm. as a single mother. Oh, so good. Pam Kennelly is the development director and co-founder of Arise Single Moms, which is committed to equipping single mothers around the globe and empowering them to be all that God has for them to be. Pam, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Pam. Thank you. We put out a social media water cooler question this week, and it was about marriage. And here was mm-hmm. the, there was a story about a couple who, um, w- before they got married, they entered into a contract. It's kind of a funny one because apparently the bride loves pizza and mm-hmm. the groom didn't want to eat pizza all the time. So the marriage contract was that they would only eat pizza once a month. And uh, <laughs> we asked you what you all uh, thought about your marriages, what kind of contract you would need. And nobody really showed up for that question. So I don't know if it hit too close to home. Seriously, I'm not we lost exa- out on this one. not exactly sure what happened there, Brian. But uh, I think my husband might say like no more Korean, like only one Korean show a month. Because <laughs> like, he's he's been saying to me lately, like, can we please watch some American television? So That's I think that really might be funny. one in our marriage. Would there be one that Carrie would bring to you, like only this once a month? So we would have probably needed to have some negotiations about the number of games that are on the TV ah, okay, uh, in okay. the course of a week. Versus, I. I if my wife had probably heard this story about pizza before we got married, yes. this might have entered. And I married a woman who loves pizza. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And so I, this might have been it. This one <laughs> might have done it. And uh, yeah, it would have been interesting. I love pizza too, but 
My wife, at any point, if I'm like, let's get pizza, she has she's never in. said no in she's however in. many years. She's oh, in. Yes. I feel that way about Mexican food. Like, yeah, you want to go get chips and salsa? In. Done and done. Okay. Nice. Well, so um, speaking of marriage, Brian, do you know about the Gottman Institute? I do not. Okay. So John Gottman is sort of a marriage guru, does all of this research. And his his biggest thing is like, what are the signs of divorce and how can we keep it from happening? I do think that John Gottman is a Christian, but this is not necessarily a Christian organization. It's really just like a center for marriage. And um, so since we're talking about social media or talking about marriage on social media this week, I thought it would be interesting to read you this post that the Gottman Institute posted on Instagram. Somebody actually sent it to me. Um, and it here's what they're talking about. Uh, many relationship conflicts in marriage are rooted in deepest your deepest hopes and your wishes for your own life and the life you share together. So sometimes what they're saying is that, you know, you have a dream, you have a wish, your spouse has a dream, your spouse has a wish. There are times when those work together beautifully, but there are times when those come into conflict. Hmm. And what they're talking about is how those are an opportunities to begin a, a new conversation with your spouse that can actually lead to something beautiful and doesn't have to necessarily tear you down. Because of course, we've all seen like when, when dreams kind of go toe to toe, it becomes a power struggle. Some marriages end because of that. They're saying like, what if it's an invitation to a deeper conversation? So here's the questions that they say we should ask when dreams come into conflict in a marriage. Mm. The first one is this. Are there unspoken needs or desires behind our conflict? I think that one's interesting. We'll come back to these. Mm. The next one is this. How can we work together to manage our conflicting goals? The next one, what open-ended questions can I ask to understand my partner's goals? The next one, how could I support my partner reaching their dreams? And the last one, what kind of support would I like from my partner in reaching my goals? Okay, so I think this is a helpful, I think this is really helpful. And Brian, I, you know, I don't know about you, but there, it hasn't been a lot but every once in a while, Kevin and I have hit seasons in our 20 plus years of marriage where it's obvious, like, I want to do one thing. He wants to do another thing. And it, it does become a little bit of a petty power struggle right. rather than like, well, how can we work together to make sure that each of us is fulfilling his or her God-given potential? Like, for whatever reason, it tends to be a little bit tense, conflict-ridden, like we've had to go to counseling mm. in seasons like that. And I I think it's interesting to think about a couple choosing to address the unspoken needs or desires behind what's going on and then mm. working together to help each other fulfill their dreams. Yeah. Have you and yeah. Carrie, I, I mean, I don't want to like, you know, don't dive too deep, but have you and Carrie ever kind of come to a crossroads like that yeah i'm trying to think of anything comes to mind in particular it, as you were sharing that where i get myself in trouble in marriage will be when i do think of it as my dreams right like mm. it's no longer our dreams yeah but it's my dreams and and carrie and i do get ourselves in trouble when you're on like these parallel paths with each other where she's trying to accomplish, you know, get her photography business mm -hmm. humming and do this. And I'm trying to, you know, get the church going and all this stuff. And we kind of just cross over for kids. Like I can't think of a time where our dreams necessarily were at conflict with each other. 
I think our bigger problem is when we get passionate about things that the other one isn't or isn't involved in, yeah. we can feel really distant from each other. Mm, like, yeah. oh, wait, how do we now get in this together? Yeah. And, and I think in those times of conflict or distance, but, or like you described the conflict, especially when it's conflict, mm -hmm. the thing that came to mind for me is there should never be a point in your marriage where you go, um, how to put this? There shouldn't be a point for you when it comes to direction about life. Like who's who's going to win this? Where it's like my way or the highway. Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. If there has to be, okay, we're going to fight for this. Mm -hmm. We're going to work this together. We're going to come together. It's going to be about our dreams mm -hmm. together. We're Maybe in this season, I need to support my yeah. wife. Maybe in this season, she needs yeah. to support me. Like you're right. You know, when you're in the middle of a book, mm -hmm. maybe Kevin needs to step some stuff back to support you. Yeah. But when you're not and he's got to, you know, there's these mm -hmm. different seasons where it can't always be about Aubrey. It can't yep. always be about Kevin. Yep. Where it's there's there for me feels like the healthy give and take totally. about marriage. When it gets selfish about what it's just about me and my wants, I, I think that starts to uncover some deeper fractures within yeah. the marriage. I was telling some friends recently, Kevin and I were in a little bit of a conflict about this very thing. Cause we, I mean, it, we can laugh about it, but like, we both really want to go back to grad school and get our doctoral work mm -hmm. done. And we're kind of in a little bit of a conflict about like, well, who goes next? You know what I mean? Like, do I go? Because I, you know, I'm on a roll, but does he go? Because I've had a turn, you know, we're having this sort of, and it's not tense or anything, but I did, I was saying to my friends, as we were kind of processing this, Hey, pray for us. We're just kind of working through like, what's the right decision for our family. And then it, it occurred to me as I was saying this, like, sometimes I think I forget I'm part of a covenant relationship and I just think <laughs> I can do whatever I want whenever I want to. And like, how dare you try to stop me? You know what I mean? Yes, and yes. so I do sometimes think like, just in all honesty, like we have to go, Oh, I'm especially for the Christian, like, I'm no longer my own. Like I am part yeah. of this thing, this unit, this uh, oneness that needs to somehow figure out how to work together. And also I, I think, you know, to your point, Brian, if our, if our sort of dreams for our career or goals or, or whatever category you tend to like thrive in, if that becomes more important than the health and strength and of your marriage, the like love and goodness you have with your spouse, that's yeah. a warning sign. Don't you think? Like, I think at the end of the day, like what love means is sacrifice. And and yes. you have to put the other person first even before. And, and I think the hard part is the world gives you this message that you're like, well, if my partner doesn't support my dreams and they're not really a true partner for me, blah, 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 blah. And I wonder how that in real life, when push comes to shove, like, are we willing to put lay down our dreams for the sake of our partner. I feel like yeah, that's that mutual kind of submission. The, that mutual submission right? that, that we talk about. talks about. Yep. And if you want it just to be about your wants, your needs, your desires, your dreams, as opposed to you guys together, mm -hmm. like the husband and wife together, then you should never have gotten married yeah, in the first place. Yeah, that's good, Brian. Like that's, once you sign on for that covenant relationship, like you say, you've kind of checked at the door that it's a, only about yeah. me. And, and right, right. that's the beauty, but also the difficulty of marriage at times. Yep, that's exactly right. All right. Well, there's a there's some marriage lessons from Brian and Aubrey and the Gottman Institute. It's already the end of the show, man. It goes by so fast. I can't even believe so it. So quickly. 
Unbelievable. But at the end of every show, we love doing something where we either challenge you or try to inspire you or put a smile on your face. And one of the places we've been going is over to the week where they sort of gather this compilation of good news stories from the previous week. And we like to share them with you because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sometimes we share a lot of negative news here on The Common Good, or there's just a lot of pain and suffering in the world. We talk about hard things. And as you all know, if you're regular listeners, Brian and I like a palate cleanser. We like to laugh. We like mm-hmm. to leave you with a little bit of enjoyment. So that's what this is all about. Some good news from the week. Brian, do you want to start or should I start? I think I'll go first. I'm ready. I'm ready for the good news. Let's hear some good news. Oh, also because this is about a barber, and I once told my wife if I wasn't a pastor, I could be anything. I'd want to be a barber. You would be a great barber. You would like know people's names. You would like chat it up with people. Let's be honest. I'd be great at all the ancillary things. We have no idea whether I could actually cut hair. Yeah, maybe you could run a barber shop, but not actually like do the hair. I could see like I could see the TV with the Mets. Like you got Mets classics on in the corner. Preach, preach. I. As long as I could be trained to cut the hair, that's what I want to do because you've got the captive audience in your chair. Yeah, everybody loves their barber as long as he gives a good haircut. They do. Uh, you get to wear a smock all day. Yeah. Like I would be all for you're this. like, dr- right, you're like go. drinking iced tea all day long in your, in Dang, your now barber you're shop. Talking me into this. Yeah. Yeah. I could see all this. Right. I see this for you. A barber surprises longtime neighborhood street vendor with a special haircut. Growing up, Damian Villanueva would see Bartolo Pacheco pushing his cart through their Santa Ana, California neighborhood, selling popsicles to residents. I also love popsicles. Me too. Often, Villanueva could tell that uh, Pacheco was exhausted. He said, I always had in my mind, one day I'm going to do something for this guy. That day came earlier this month when Villanueva, now a barber, approached Pacheco and asked if he could give him a haircut. He agreed, and the pair chatted about life. Villanueva learned that Pacheco had to stay home for two months after getting COVID-19 and has been robbed four times. When he was finished, Villanueva handed Pacheco a mirror so he could look at his new haircut. Plus a hundred dollars for him to use on whatever he Aww, wanted. Pacheco nice. was moved to tears. People don't want to work forever, Villanueva said. They want to live life after two. So I wanted to help him. The barber said this is only the beginning, and he started a GoFundMe to raise money for street vendors across Santa Ana. Ah, there you go. Cool. Using your gifts, using what you can do to help people. I love that's that. That's a great story. All right. Uh story number two. Dog leads search and rescue team to owner who fell 70 feet while hiking. Oh, wow. A border collie named Saul definitely earned some extra treats and back scratches last week after he helped a search and rescue team find his owner in California's Tahoe National Forest. On July 12th, Saul's 53-year-old owner tumbled 70 feet while hiking, broke a hip and several ribs, The next day, he was able to get cell phone service and called for help. About 25 people with Nevada County Sheriff's Search and Rescue Team made their way to the area. And in true Lassie fashion, Saul ran up to two members of the team and led them back to his owner, who was under a camouflage tarp. Saul was jumping up and down and spinning in circles, Sergeant Dennis Hack of the Nevada County Sheriff's Office Search and Rescue told the news. He took them right to the victim. It was about 7 p.m. by the time they found the man who was airlifted to a local hospital and Saul was treated to a well-deserved dinner. That's cute. That is a great story. I'm trying to get past the fact that the guy laid there for a day with a broken hip and several Yeah, that's a little rough. That's a little rough. Uh, That's a little rough. I'm glad he was found. X-ray of painting reveals secret Van Gogh (gasps) self-portrait. What? 
while preparing for an upcoming exhibition of impressionist art, uh, conservators with the National Galleries of Scotland made a surprise discovery. What appears to be a self-portrait of Vincent van Gogh behind the back of his 1885 painting, Head of a Peasant Woman. In an interview released last week by the National Gallery, senior paintings conservator Leslie Stevenson said paintings are routinely x-rayed in order to gather information about how the composition evolved, whether or not there were any changes. And lo and behold, we were quite surprised to discover a completely different painting in the x-ray image. Wow. The Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam was studied, has studied the x-ray image and said it's almost certainly a Van Gogh self-portrait. Due to financial constraints, Van Gogh regularly reused canvases, and several other self-portraits have been discovered on the backs of paintings, particularly those done between 1883 and 1885. This was a stunning discovery, but it was extra special because self-portraits have a high uh, special quality. They're very enigmatic. They're giving us an insight into how the artist thinks of themselves. That is that so is cool. Crazy. I, yeah. lo I love those sort of like secret art stories. I mean, that's cool. A Van Gogh self-portrait. Like it's been a while since we've had a good Van Gogh movie or like a Van Gogh series. I feel like that would be that would be an interesting I've show. It's been a while. Have we ever had like a Van Gogh? I think there was a Van Gogh movie like decades ago. So I feel like it's time. It's time for a new one. It was called it was called Van on the Go. <laughs> and he was solving <laughs> mysteries all over the place. All through over his paintings. All over New Amsterdam. I like it. That's his, good. His magic paintbrush was taking down the villains. He's Van Vincent Van on the Go. <laughs> See, you could, this is good barbershop fodder. You could be talking about this at the barbershop. All right, here's another good story uh, with more animals. Cheetahs okay. to stage a comeback in India. Cheetahs okay. are coming back to India, and environmental officials are hopeful that they are here to stay. In 1952, due to hunting, habitat loss, and lack of food, India's indigenous cheetah population was declared extinct. Oh, I actually didn't know that. The country's Supreme Court ruled in 2020 that cheetahs could be reintroduced in a carefully chosen location. And over the last two years, officials have been working with their counterparts in Namibia on a plan to safely transport eight cheetahs to India. In August, the cheetahs will be brought from Namibia to the Kuno Palpur National Park in the state of Madhya Pradesh, which has cheetah-friendly terrain, BBC News reports. Yadav, India's environmental minister, wrote on social media that bringing the cheetah back to India will rekindle the ecological dynamics of the landscape. Officials said that the main goal of this project is to establish viable cheetah metapopulation in India – that allowed a, allows the cheetah to perform its functional role as a top predator. Oh, there you go. Fascinating. What if the, what if the carefully chosen location was your backyard? I would like, hey, I would be really nervous about that. Like, I don't know that we, I want a top predator like that back in we, India. <laughs> we carefully chose the area. Unfortunately for you, it's inside the fence of your backyard. You will die. <laughs> Last one. Second grader saves choking friend thanks to technique he saw on TV. Come on. When David Diaz Jr. of Binghamton, New York, saw his friend DeAndre start to choke during lunch, the seven-year-old remembered something he learned about while watching the television show The Good Doctor, the Heimlich Maneuver. No way. Diaz raced over to DeAndre and began performing abdominal thrusts, telling Fox and Friends, I did that because you have to save everybody in life. His quick thinking did save his friend and earned Diaz a New York State Senate Commendation Award in June. Although he's glad to have helped his buddy, Diaz said he has no intention of growing up and becoming a doctor. 
I probably want to be a basketball player, he said. <laughs> of course he does. There you of go. Of course he does. That's cool. Oh, Learning from the good doctor. I love that. Way to go, good doctor. Way to go, David Diaz Jr. That is that is awesome. All right, Brian, you're going on vacation tomorrow. I am. Well, yes, I, I am. hope you have. No, the next day. The, the next, next day. day. I'm so sorry. I guess I'll see you one more day then. Okay. I was We're about to, I was about to wish you well in your vacation. I'm sending you, you off too early. You just got me really excited. Sorry. And now I'm like, oh. All right. Well, never mind. You'll be back tomorrow. We'll both be back tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>